Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Simon Ford at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Well, good morning, and please be seated. Good to be together as we move towards a conclusion of this series. So it's the final uh, week, series The Heart of Kings. And as we've seen, it's the heart of the king that determines the nature and the character of the kingdom. So it's the inward. It's always about the inward first. The heart of the king demonstrates the enduring kind of, or determines the enduring quality and strength of any kingdom. It's not about the outward things so much. You know, the palaces and the wealth and the pomp and the ceremony and all of those things, even power. Um, it's actually the defining characteristic of true kingship is righteousness. Is righteousness. Righteousness puts everything right. And we read in Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 14.34, Righteousness exalts a nation. And uh, we see that, we've seen that, and we believe that to be true. I think it's very important, it's transformational for us to see the root meaning of righteousness is right relatedness, right relatedness, so that right relationships lead to right living. They lead to doing the right things and enjoying life to the full. Our relationship with God, our relationship with one another and creation, of course, but kings rule, and so kings have kingdoms. Like in the days of Israel's kings, we have kings. I mean, we have the monarchy, we have the queen, of course, but there are kind of kings uh, that uh, today rule. They have, they have rule to reign and have authority to reign. Scott Morrison, Xi Jinping, Boris Johnson, Donald Trump, all of these Uh, have authority to rule, and it's the character, their characters, that determine the nature of their reign on earth. And the hearts of the kings of Israel, as we've seen, and the hearts of all of these kings of the world, um, and other nations and world powers throughout history, have been flawed. They're broken, which has a massive impact on the character of the kingdom that they reign over. Widespread impact. Kings have come, kings have gone. Kingdoms have come and kingdoms have gone. But there has always been a universal king, the creator and the sustainer of all. One king who is the king of kings and the lord of lords. The ruler of all and his kingdom is everlasting. It knows no end because it is the perfect reign. There's no dark side to this king. All those good character traits of the other kings, um, any other king that's reigned, he is the the true and perfect of all of those good character traits. And so he's the true and perfect version of kindness, of grace, of righteousness, of wisdom, 
of goodness, all of these things of love, of truth, all of these things that you'd like to name that are good. And so his kingship is actually like no other that has been or will come. And he is our subject today. And my hope this morning is that we just capture afresh the heart of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but that we actually taste and see something of our King's heart. Now, Israel, as you know, were God's chosen people. Um, God himself was this covenant king. And the idea that he would reign and rule like no other king in Israel and that they would show the world a kind of more excellent way of living, the way of the king, the heart of the king, would be shown in the way that Israel lived their lives. And uh, God also determined that out of Israel, through Israel would come God himself, the king, visibly would come to the world as the promised Messiah. Now a time came about a thousand BC and Israel wanted a king that they could see, a king like the other nations had where they could see him, they could touch him, he's visible to them. And so over this series, we've looked at five of these kings, probably the better, actually, of the kings of Israel. After the split, there was sort of about 19 on either side, north and south. We've probably seen five, which are the better, with the good, probably better character traits. But as we know, as we saw, they're all broken. And so there was problems. They did some terrible things. They did good things and some terrible things, some damaging things. See, Saul was the first king. And uh, he looked the part, he was a statesman looking man. He had the appearance. He was the obvious choice for Israel. Uh, He just didn't deliver. He was insecure. He was disobedient to God. He was jealous. And in the end, he took his own life. David came after Saul. We looked at David. David's known as the greatest of the kings. See, he had a kind heart, which you heard about, but his kindness actually didn't stop him from murdering or being an adulterer. Solomon was known for his wise heart. He died a fool. And his leadership resulted in a massive split in Israel between the northern and the southern tribes. His leadership split Israel in half. Jehoshaphat was known for his zealous heart, which we've looked at, in leading the people back to God. That's a beautiful thing for a king to do, lead people back to God. Jehoshaphat did that, but he didn't completely destroy idolatry, and he entered into some very foolish alliances with other kings. Hezekiah was known for his righteousness. You remember, he destroyed the high places of idolatry in Israel, but pride kept in and wealth got hold of him, and uh, all sorts of issues as well. But there isn't this other king that we talked about. Praise God that there's a king, an everlasting king, who is the good king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And Matthew in the genealogy, genealogy talks about this king coming into the world. You know, right at the start of Matthew. So we see that Israel's true king comes in through the line of David. Um, and he's coming into the world for all to see. That's what they wanted in the beginning. They wanted to be able to see him. But here he came appearing in human flesh and blood, the true king. And what was his name? Jesus. 
But astonishingly, astonishingly, this long-awaited king was sentenced to death on a Roman cross. Wow. Now, King Jesus, his kingdom was entirely different. It was a totally different order to that of the kings and kingdoms that the world had known. See, everything that Jesus did declared that he was king of the kingdom of heaven. That he was king of the kingdom of God. I mean, he healed the sick. You remember? He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He spoke to the wind. He spoke to the water. The created order obeyed his every word. But he didn't rule like a political earthly king, you know, with palaces and military army and, and uh, force and uh, lots of servants um, and financial wealth. No, he was an altogether different king, a humble servant king of an extraordinary order, which we want to look at today. Upside down nature of the kingdom of God totally upside down to what we see in the world and what the world had known. So the first, uh, I'd like to look at two events, two significant events. The first one is uh, at the final Passover meal, because these events really let us get an insight into Jesus' heart, the heart of the king. The first one at the Passover meal, and the second is him standing uh, before Pilate, his trial before Pilate. So let's begin with the first event, the final Passover. Our reading comes from John, and uh, Jody's going to read for us. Thanks, Jody. The reading's from John 13, 1 to 8. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you can have no part with me. Extraordinary passage there. We must appreciate that what Jesus did here in washing the disciples' feet, no king had ever done before. There's no record of any other king washing feet. Jesus was the first. And Jesus, in doing so, put two words together that had never been put together before. The the, the word servant and the word king. He said they go together. So he put the towel, if you like, and the crown together as one. And so he redefined kingship and he redefined greatness in the earth by all that he actually did. And the foot washing scene itself was a powerful sign, incredibly powerful sign, a symbolic act, actually revealing the very heart of the king of kings. 
So in that, in, in fact, that the foot washing act characterizes the Lord's kind of heart and summarizes the whole of his life and ministry on earth. He, he who was born a king came to serve and not be served. He turned everything upside down, turned the world upside down. Jesus, the Lord, the very Son of God, God himself, Yahweh, takes up the towel and serves. See, in the ancient world, the towel was a badge of slavery. The roads in first century Palestine were dirty, as you can imagine. People wore sandals. So just beside the doorway of most homes, you'd find a bowl and a towel, and ordinarily on arrival, you know, a servant would greet you and as an act of hospitality, wash your feet. On this particular evening, before Jesus' crucifixion, he gathered the disciples together in the upper room for this Passover meal, and no one had carried out this act of hospitality. Understandably so, it was truly a humbling act in those days, much more humbling than even today. It was so menial that it was included on the list of tasks that no Jewish slave should ever do. And so the disciples' minds, you can imagine the disciples at this time, you know what they were talking about at this time. Their minds were sort of caught up with this whole idea of you know, dreams of thrones and, and glory and honour and who is going to sit where in the kingdom of God, and who is going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. So in that sort of setting, no one was going to dare assume the role of servant. No one would wash the dinner guest's feet at that final meal. No one. Apart from who? Jesus. Lord Jesus, the King, the King of heaven and earth, Washed their feet. See, Jesus arises from the table. He begins one by one to wash the disciples' feet. What Jesus does simply kind of highlights what he's been doing all along during his ministry. It speaks of the whole of his life on earth. It's a kind of summary, if you like, his journey from the Father to the world, uh, to the earth, and then back to the Father. If you can kind of hang in there with me on that one. See, Jesus... He rose from the table just as he rose from his eternal throne in heaven. Jesus laid aside his outer garment, as we've read, just as he laid aside his entitlements and his privileges as the eternal son of the living God in the heavenly realm. Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist just as he wrapped himself with our, humil- with our humanity in our flesh and blood. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, performing the lowest, most menial task of service, just like he would the next day, and give himself to die the most degrading death on a cross, the lowest place, the place of utter shame in the ancient world. No lower place. That's where he was going. Then when he'd finished washing their feet, he took up his garments again and he returned to that seat of honour at the table, just like when he cried out on the cross, it is finished. And when he was taken up from the grave and seated again on the throne, 
with his father at his father's right hand. The highest place. The place of honour. What a picture. What an insight into the heart of the King of Kings and a redefinition of greatness for us. See, the heart of the King of the universe is to wash your feet. That's his heart. To wash your feet and my feet. To serve your best interests. Not considering equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. But he humbled himself. And from a human perspective, washing feet is beneath the dignity of any king or any queen. And it's a great contradiction. Peter's horrified. He's absolutely horrified. You shall never wash my feet. You're the Lord. You're the Lord of glory. Peter knew who he was. But see, Jesus, Peter wanted Jesus to fit into his kind of human idea of what royalty's like, of what dignity is like, what honour is like, what it's all about, the whole VIP thing. He's in another category to where Jesus is. And we tend to think that to be God actually means to be kind of above all and to be waited on by billions of servants. That is a totally wrong image of God. God is the servant of all. He loves all. He serves all. He cares for all. It's God who's the great server in the universe. And the foot washing act symbolically speaks of the heart, the character of the Christian life. Because we become, we become like our king as his life courses through our own beings. And this whole foot washing thing, washing one another's feet. See, what Jesus is saying here is not that we just go around washing one another's feet. Not literally, we might, and some people might, that's fine. But what Jesus is saying is that we are to serve one another. We're to love one another. We're to care for one another. Above our own interests, the interests of others, and to be a lover in the earth of others, irrespective of worldly status, irrespective of background, irrespective of nationality, irrespective of anything, serve all, love all, is what Jesus is saying here in the foot washing exercise. Now we just turn with that in mind, it's just a beautiful picture of the heart of the king. Let's look at this second uh, picture, insight that we get of the heart of King Jesus I mentioned it earlier, it's his trial before the so-called king of the world, Tiberius Caesar, with Pilate the governor kind of acting with the emperor's full authority. And there's Jesus, the king of the universe. And I want us to see how the all-powerful, almighty king of kings was like a lamb being led to the slaughter. He had all the power not to go that way. He could have stopped it all like that. But he didn't. Rather, he served, and this is the secret of his heart, he served the Father's will. He did the will of the Father. And out of his great love, he opened up for us 
eternal life. You opened up life. See, it takes great strength to be gentle. You will need more power and might to be a gentle person and to do the will of the Father. And you'll be familiar with the story. It's recorded in John 18 and 19 where Pilate came out of his grand palace. So the religious people, the Jewish people have done their thing uh, all wrongly. But anyway, they they bring Jesus um, to the Jewish leader, to the great palace, and they had a hatred in their heart for Jesus. They came to Pilate because they wanted the king of the universe crucified, done away with, by order of Rome, by order of Rome. Which led Pilate to ask, are you the king of the Jews? And the you is in the emphatic. See, Pilate would have looked at Jesus and he would have thought, you're not a revolutionist, you're not a criminal. He would have been standing there gently, meekly before not in any fear of any other authority on earth other than his father's. Pilate knew that Jesus didn't look like some kind of revolutionary type that would incite rebellion against Rome because that's all he was interested in. Anyone that's going to incite rebellion against world rule. Otherwise, you can deal with it yourself. So Jesus says that he is head of a kingdom. But no one, but not one that Rome need fear as a political rival. That his kingdom is from another place, meaning that his authority is not derived from political agency, not earthly, but heavenly. So Pilate says, You're a king then. And Jesus confirms that he is a king. And Pilate finds no basis for a charge against him, which ordinarily would have ended everything. But he wanted to please the people and he wanted Jesus released and all that sort of thing, that's the man that he was. So he said, well, look, according to custom, you know, we can release someone at Passover for you, one of, you know, your uh, criminals at Passover for you. And so Pilate asked him whether they want to release the king of the Jews. The Jewish mob, they shouted, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a revolutionist, he was a murderer, he was a thief, he was a terrorist, he was a wicked man. His name means father of the son of lies. They wanted him to rule, not Jesus. And as Pilate's last kind of ditch effort to get Jesus off, he had Jesus flogged. He had him flogged with whips until the torturers were exhausted. They couldn't whip him anymore. His flesh was in shreds, blood running all down him. He was a mess, probably unrecognisable from those whips. And then the soldiers mocked him. Jesus, kingship, they just mocked it. They staged this hideous coronation by making a crown of thorns. And they normally, that would have been made out of a date palm. And those thorns on those date palms were about 12 inches long. They meshed them together and they rammed them on his head, the king of glory. They got an old purple sheet from somewhere 
for his king's gown, and they say probably a box for him to stand on so they could mock him. And they mocked him, they did. They spat on him, they punched him, they slapped him, they hit him with rods. This one who was, this was the king suffering before the cross. When the soldiers had enough, they sent him back to Pilate. Pilate comes out before the people. I still find no basis of a charge against this man. Pilate then parades Jesus beaten and bloodied before them, hoping that it would be enough, the punishment is enough to get him off. Uh, And it wasn't. But Pilate parades him, gets him out there in front of his palace. There they are down there, puts him up there and he says, here is the man. Picture what he would have looked like with that hideous crown on his head, bloodied, a mess, pathetic looking. He was being mocked. Yes, Pilate, he is the real man, God with us, God for us, the king of heaven and earth standing before them, before Pilate, before the Jewish accusers. And they cried out in a loud voice. They said, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said, will you take him and crucify him? I find no basis of a charge against him. You take him. The Jewish leaders then said, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar's. And of course, to Pilate, that was everything. That's his whole authority. Pilate was the most important. So immediately he moves quickly for his final verdict. And he pulls out, out comes the judgment seat on the pavement. This is the symbol of Roman judicial authority. Out comes the judgment seat. And uh, it's on the pavement there outside the palace for all to see. And amazingly, Pilate does not pronounce a sentence. He pronounces a great proclamation of sovereignty. He might have been mocking, but it was true. He said, here is the king. This was nothing other than the simple truth. Jesus, king of heaven and earth. The Jewish leaders responded by walking away from God completely. They denied their history, all their history. You know what they shouted? We have no king but Caesar. This is Israel. In that very moment, they tore up the sacred covenant they had with God for centuries. They totally deny God and and the messianic hope of Israel. But in it all, we see the heart of the king. See, Jesus was mainly silent throughout. He was submitting himself to the Father's will. This was no walk in the park for Jesus to submit to the Father's will. He knew that the king must first be the slain lamb of God. A crucified Messiah. You see, the end of sin is death. And sin, in the end, wants to do away with God. Why? So that we can rule. The evil one to rule. And to rule without any interference then God needs to be killed. And so this is what was happening. 
And in it, two words came together that never come together before in history. These two words, crucified Messiah. Great contradiction. A king in the lowest and most shameful place. You see, the extraordinary character and power of Jesus' rule is altogether different to the power of evil, the sort of power that evil is going to uh, exercise. And there's Jesus standing there for us. See, Jesus' victory on the cross is his refusal to be overpowered, to be uh, to, refusal to overpower the bullying authority of the power of evil. He was not going to be bullied by it. He stood there on our behalf to receive it. His love endured great suffering as he humbled himself, taking our place there and taking into himself all that the enemy had to throw at him. He took the lot. He absorbed it all and he overcame evil and he overcame death by taking it into himself. And we'll see later on the cross, we've got time, on the cross where he did that. Do you see his heart? He didn't use his power to protect himself at all, but to serve you, to do what you and I could not do. And we'll all stand before a judgment seat one day like he did that day. But he's done it for us. And in him, we have victory. See, he didn't come, Jesus didn't come, the king didn't come with a great stick to hit us over the head for everything we've done wrong. He came to give us grace. He came to give us life. He came to do what we could not do ourselves. He came to heal broken relationships. This is righteousness. You know what I mentioned about right right relatedness? He came to heal the relationship that we have with our Father, with one another, and with the creation. He came to give us peace with God and life. That's why he is our righteousness. That's why he is our peace. And when they were nailing to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing in driving those nails into my my ankles and and my arms. Forgive them. He knew he could overcome death like you and I can't. But the king's life doesn't end with death on the cross. He rises from the dead. He defeats death. He ascends to the Father's right hand. And we read in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, there's imagery depicting what it's going to be like at the end of this age. And we see uh, Jesus riding on a white horse. You know that white horse? And what's blazoned across him? King of kings and Lord of lords. And in that passage, we see that he has defeated every enemy that's against his good and perfect rule. And that all things will be made right because of his reign and rule. See, he's ruling now. We don't always see it. A lot of it's invisible because his way of ruling is not our way of ruling. And so he's working out some amazing, beautiful uh, salvation for us. 
And that's why we must trust. And his kingship in the end will be undeniable. Every atheist, every believer, every person will declare the truth that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Paul says it in Philippians. He, said, he says in Philippians 2, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's not surprising that Jesus said before he went to the cross, he said this, I am the good shepherd. See, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, says Jesus. And then he goes on to say this, greater love has no one than this, to lay down their life for their friends. And that's what Jesus did for you and for me. He laid down his life for us that we might have life. And so as we come to the communion table this morning, let's return and just reflect on what Jesus did and said in that upper room um, the night before his crucifixion. See, at that final Passover meal... Jesus knew that it would be his last night with his disciples. And he loved them throughout his life on earth. But he loved them to the very end. And he wanted to show during this Passover meal the full measure of his love and his friendship for them. So on that night he got up from the table and he took off his outer robe, his outer garment, his outer robe, took it off. And he took a towel and he wrapped it around his waist, the king of kings. He wrapped it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and he washed his disciples' dirty feet, all of them. And when he came to Peter, Peter protested. Right? You remember the protest? You'll never wash my feet you are the Lord you can't do that never will you wash my feet Jesus said if I don't wash your feet you have no part in my kingdom Peter agreed and Jesus went down on his knees and he washed Peter's feet like he washed the other disciples feet and he got the towel and he dried Peter's feet with the tower. This is the Son of God loving Peter right to the very end. And when he had finished washing all of the disciples' feet, he rose up, he got his outer garment and he put it back on, took his place at the table, which was a, the place of honour at the table, at the meal, and then he took bread. He took it and he broke it, gave thanks first to his father, And he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. I give my life for you. And he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink in remembrance of me. Eat and drink. Share. He's saying, share in my life. Participate in the life, my life, the life of the kingdom. 
which I will be opening up for you tomorrow. So we had this wonderful opportunity. The Lord instituted, he turned the Passover into the Lord's Supper. He changed all of history. So we have this opportunity today to participate. And all those who desire to participate in the life of the King are welcome to join this table. Whether we're participating now or we desire to, you're very welcome to come and join this table. The one who came to serve, not to be served. The one who came to give forgiveness, not judgment. So let's come to the table now and take the bread and the wine and return to your seat and and eat the bread when you're ready. And let's hold the cup and we'll drink together. Um, And as we do, just a wonderful opportunity to meditate and to reflect on the heart of your king, that he should die for you, that you might have life. So let's come and participate in this wonderful table. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.